This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone, as we uh, brace, at least in the Avalon Peninsula area, anyway, for the first major snowfall of the season. Wow, mid-January, and I'm still coming back and forth to work in these, David, these little shoes. It's unheard of, really. Um, Now, we have had, you know, mild winters and the like, but uh, I can't remember going this long in the season without any major snowfall. We've had a few small snowfalls. I think it's only been, it's been less than 40 centimeters anyway since the start of the season for this region. So, um, at least it's coming on the weekend. If you don't have to be anywhere, don't go anywhere. You don't have to commute back and forth to work. Some of us do. Um, But by and large, if you know what I'm saying, the roads should be relatively quiet. Uh, So that'll allow um, our plows to get out and clean things up. So take it easy. Hunker down. Enjoy it. Um, Nothing better than a good snowfall or snowstorm. And um, just be careful. Well, I've noticed it. I'm sure you've noticed it. Your take-home pay just isn't going as far as it used to. Growing inflation means we're paying more for our everyday expenses. But how much more? Well, the Atlantic Provinces Economic Council, also known as APEC, has crunched the numbers on inflation and found that the average household in the region is paying about $7,200 more for the same goods and services as they did in 2019, just prior to the pandemic. My guest today on On Target is Senior Policy Analyst with APEC, Fred Bergman. Hello. Good afternoon, Linda. So what's it like in Halifax right now? It's storming here as well. It probably started around 9 a.m. Halifax time. We're probably going to get a half of the maximum amount you're going to see in St. John's. You know, probably about 15 centimeters. Of course, the snow is free, but as you know, with inflation, the snow removal is not. It is not, and municipalities and governments are grappling with that as well. But when I saw that number, $7,200, that, wow, that's like a kick in the guts. You you know you're paying more, but when you see it on paper, it really is stark. Yeah, for sure it is. And, and we even in our report had an estimate for Newfoundland and Labrador of almost $6,200 for, for the increase in costs due to inflation for the average household. Uh, it's a little cheaper in Newfoundland and Labrador because some of the shelter costs, i.e. housing-related costs, are a bit cheaper uh, in that province. But that's about it. We make up when it comes to groceries for sure. So what type of expenses did you look at? Well, we looked at some of the major purchases, so things like food purchased from stores, uh, food purchased from restaurants, uh, the cost of gasoline uh, for transportation and, and other uses, um, the cost of a car purchase or home heating oil for those houses that are heated uh, with oil, and, and we looked at the cost of rent versus owned accommodation. Uh, and the numbers are quite stark in the report in terms of you know their contribution to that overall increase for the average household in Atlantic Canada. Um, So were there certain areas that you saw greater expenses? What uh, did you see? Where did you see some of the highest inflation rates? Yeah, so in gasoline, uh, we saw the average price go up about uh, $1,200 for the average household in Atlantic Canada. 
Uh, and I can tell you just over the last few years since 2019 in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, the price of gas has went up by about 50% between 2019 and 2022. Uh, and that's why there's such a large increase uh, in that cost of gas for uh, Atlantic households. And we saw a, a cut in the taxes as well during that period of time. Yeah, that's right. Last year, I think the province uh, cut the gas price by about seven cents a litre. Uh, of course, I'm guessing as of January 1, that, that reduction in the provincial uh, gasoline tax has now been removed, and so the price went up. Uh, and I think just this week, the price of gas in Newfoundland and Labrador went up by about 7.6 cents a litre. Uh, and we saw similar increases across the Atlantic provinces, hovering around 8 cents a litre. Are we paying more for gasoline than other parts of Atlantic Canada? Um, it's it's unique to each jurisdiction how much they pay. It is a bit higher in Newfoundland and Labrador. Obviously, you're further away from some of the refining sources, and, and, and of course, there'd be transportation costs for some of that. Uh, I know the refinery was offline for a while in Newfoundland and Labrador as well, uh, and that might have contributed some to some of the higher prices also. Uh, but generally speaking, smaller jurisdictions in Atlantic Canada would tend to pay more for fuel versus larger urban centers, and that's because of less economies of scale. We've been talking a lot about food inflation, and I want to ask you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is Senior Pol- Policy Analyst with APEC, Fred, Ber- I'm sorry, Fred Bergman. We'll be back right after this. Mm-hmm. Guest today on On Target is Senior Policy Analyst with APEC, or the Atlantic Provinces Economic Council, Fred Bergman. And uh, APEC is out with this uh, new report on inflation and how much we're all spending. And no doubt, uh, Fred, food inflation is a big part of that. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I, I think in our report, we estimated that food purchased from stores, obviously mainly grocery stores, uh, would cost the average household about $1,000 more per year uh, than it would in 2019. Uh, and certainly we're seeing significant food inflation in Newfoundland and Labrador as well. Uh, I think food prices in general were up about uh, 9.2% in 2022 versus the prior year. Uh, And I'm sure, Linda, when you were eating your breakfast today, uh, you would have paid more for that. And I'll give you a few examples just to highlight. Uh, So let's say you wanted to have some cereal with milk. Uh, Well, the price of cereal uh, between December of last year and December of the prior year in 2021 went up about 13.2%. The price of fresh milk was up over 15%. Uh, If you wanted to have a coffee or tea with your breakfast, uh, the price of coffee or tea was up about 11.3%. And, of course, if you wanted to put butter on your toast, well, the price of butter was up about 22%. And just hold the, hold the fort a little bit because come February 1st, uh, dairy prices are going up by about 2.2% this year. And where does it all stop? And I, I want to get into that in, in a minute. But um, are, are there any indications here on what people are doing to cope with this? Yeah, I think we're seeing people cut back on some of their non-essential items. Uh, The latest economic pulse survey results from the Angus Reid Poll Institute uh, show that about 80% of Canadians are going to cut back on what I would call non-essentials. So these are things like travel, uh, eating out at restaurants or or ordering takeout, uh, uh, attending uh, entertainment events like movies or the theater or a concert. Uh, and so on. So people are going to cut back on some of those essentials. Uh, In addition, that same uh, survey showed that about 63% of Canadians 
plan to cut back on major purchases as well. So that's whether you're buying a major appliance or a piece of furniture or a car, uh, a new home, uh, and so on. So people are going to kind of claw back on some of their spending, especially discretionary items. Like you don't have to take that trip to visit family or friends. Maybe you'll delay that trip. Uh, likewise, you know, some people are going to have to dip into their savings or use their credit card or borrow more to be able to afford these higher costs. Uh, but I think a lot of people are probably going to cut back and that's starting to show up in some of the data we look back, look at actually as well. And that discretionary spending usually involves uh, sectors that were so hard hit during COVID, travel, uh, restaurants, uh, entertainment, live music shows, all of that was so hard hit during COVID. They're only now starting to recover and now people are being forced to make those choices. Exactly. And so luckily in, in at least one of the, a couple of those industries, it's not quite as bad. So looking at the third quarter data on household spending uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, it was basically flat. It d- declined about 0.2% over the second quarter of last year. So just a quarter to quarter change. Uh, and spending on things like food, uh, alcoholic beverages and tobacco, uh, non-alcoholic beverages, clothing and footwear, communications, as well as hotels and restaurants actually continued to grow. So that one part uh, area what that one area where the pandemic had an impact, i.e. hotels and restaurant spending, that's continuing to grow. And I think some of that's pent-up demand, i.e. people could not go out for a long time to, to because of various restrictions. And of course, once those restrictions are, were lifted, you know, they're, they're trying to ease some of their stress from either the pandemic or higher inflation. And they're continuing to eat out and stay at hotels, thankfully. But we are seeing them cut back in some of those other discretionary areas. So, for example, they're spending less on education, they're spending less on recreation and culture, they're spending less on uh, furnishings and household equipment, they're even spending less on health, which, of course, has other issues uh, when you spend less on health. And we're seeing a minor reduction in expenditures on transportation. Once again, some of that's discretionary also. Spending less on education and health, um, that's an area where, you know, you would say, we really shouldn't be try, uh, cutting back our spending on. So, so why are people making those types of tough choices? Well, sometimes people are just taking a night course or maybe they're taking just, you know, some education that's not really like a, a full-blown college diploma or university degree, or maybe they were, and maybe they were only doing it part-time anyhow, so they weren't involved full-time. So they're delaying some of those expenditures uh, to, to kind of put the money into essentials. Yeah, there may be some that just choose to to continue to work and not go to university or college this year uh, because they just can't afford it and the timing is not quite right for them. Uh, and that even showed up in the in the Angus Reid poll as well that people were cutting back uh, on education expenditures. So it's actually showing up in Statistics Canada data also that people are doing this. I mean, the health can come to me comes to me as a little bit of a shocker, but at the same time, try to buy Tylenol off the farm, pharmacy shelf. If you can't buy it, you're going to spend less on it. Absolutely. And uh, that has been going off uh, store shelves uh, like hotcakes, as they say. So the study uh, goes back to 2019, which is uh, uh, important to note because, of course, it was 2020, very early in 2020 when when COVID hit. So why did you choose to to compare this to that pre-COVID period? Well, that's because inflation really didn't start to creep up until about 2021. Uh, and the other reason being is like that 
in 2020, we would have had unique effects from COVID itself uh, on spending patterns uh, and on wages and so on. So we try we tried to look at that kind of normal period pre-pandemic versus where we're at in 2022 due to inflation. And also just to get an extent of how much inflation has there been since 2019. So we were looking at some of those cumulative impacts. And what are the overall, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and the only other point I wanted to add is even when inflation ends, you're still gonna have that cumulative impact, i.e., you know, if prices in Atlantic Canada since 2019 have went up by about 12.2%, which we mentioned in the report, even if prices stop rising tomorrow, we're still going to have prices that are going to be 12.2% higher, probably for many years to come, i.e., you know, prices will not go back down again. And I think that's what everybody's sort of hanging their hat on right now. Well, you know, if the economy starts to slow down a little bit, and if we head into a recessionary period, uh, the prices will creep down. But as I heard you say to Ben Murphy this morning, that's not necessarily how it works. No, because a lot of times when prices go up, they're very fluid. In other words, they go up fairly easily. But when, when it comes to coming down, they're sometimes sticky. Now, yes, you can have things go on sale. Yeah, it's remotely possible you could get some deflation. Uh, And that would be more driven by what happens if commodity prices really plummet uh, during an economic slowdown. Then that might feed through uh, to lower prices for finished goods when those raw material costs go down. So for things like energy or lumber or various minerals uh, and so on, and and even food products as well. If some of those raw material prices go down, then yes, it's possible we could get some deflation, but it may not be across the board for everything, right? So it's very rare that you would get a strong deflationary period uh, to offset that 12.2% gain that we've seen. Like once businesses realize that consumers can handle playing higher prices uh, and the market kind of uh, accepts it, uh, you don't often trend back. So, you know, do you think gas prices are going to go back to a dollar a liter anytime soon or 75 cents a liter anytime soon? You know, we've kind of hit that threshold where you're probably looking at a dollar fifty and up. Uh, and we've even seen uh, consumers stomach $2 and up uh, per liter of fuel. So this is the kind of world we're in now. Um, are these um, steady um, succession of rate increases from the Bank of Canada, is that contributing as well to inflation? Well, to some degree, it's more aimed at combating inflation. So as interest rates go up, it tends to cool the economy. So, you know, there'll be less buying and, and selling of uh, automobiles, major uh, big ticket items like houses. Obviously, they, they're trying to cool the housing market. You know, it, it becomes more expensive even for businesses to borrow money to make investments. So it generally cools the economy. And as the economy cools, uh, of course, then prices uh and hopefully wage pressures will cool as well. Uh, And this is what will help combat inflation. Now, to some degree, yes, higher interest rates are increasing the cost of maintaining your household or business, i.e. if you're using a credit card to combat inflation and and keep your uh, normal basket of goods and services that you purchase every month the same, well, obviously now you're paying higher interest costs. So it is is hurting uh, both businesses Uh, and consumers, but that's intended in order to cool the economy, right? Like there has to be a bit of pain uh, in order to get to a a better place where we have less inflation. Is it having the desired effect? Yeah, it's showing up in the data. Certainly inflation, I think, in Newfoundland and Labrador in December slowed almost a full percentage point down to 5.7%. So it is headed in the right direction. Uh, It's quite a bit lower 
than the peak uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, which would have been 8.2% in June of last year. Uh, so it is starting to come down. It's not quite down to the target band of the Bank of Canada yet, which is 1% to 3%, but it's clearly headed in the right direction. I saw a statistic the other day showing that um, it's there's a direct correlation between the uh, the drop in the inflation rate and lower gas prices. So it, it, do gas prices make up that big bulk of, of those inflationary numbers? Well, in the past, prior to recent spikes over the last few years, gas purchases were typically about 3% of total household spending. Uh, probably with higher prices, it could be as much as 5% in today's world, but it's still a small overall part. But the reason it has such a big impact on inflation overall is not just because we spend 5% of our household expenditures on fuel. It's because almost every commodity that we buy that's a product uh, or a good that's physical that has to be shipped has transportation costs associated with it. And therefore, the cost of gas or diesel fuel or aviation fuel or marine fuel used to ship that to your retailer where you buy it from. Uh, that's what's kind of driving up the price of everything. And even services have some embedded fuel costs in them, i.e. that service provider uh, might have a, a, a boiler or a furnace that's using home heating oil, uh, and therefore, you know, they're paying those higher costs, and they have to pass that on in some of the prices they charge you uh, for your haircut uh, or getting your nails done, for example, whatever it may be. Uh, these energy prices are flowing through to a lot of commodities or consumer goods and services. And I know a big portion of this report focuses on the gap between uh, wage increases and inflation. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is Senior Policy Analyst with APEC, Fred Berg. I can't say your name. I'm sorry, Fred. Fred Bergman. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is Senior Policy Analyst with APEC, Fred Bergman. And uh, we're talking about this uh, report from uh, APEC um, outlining inflation and wages in particular. So are wages keeping up with the rate of inflation? Uh, generally not, Linda. Uh, I think in the report we talk about um, inflation going up by about 11.2% in Atlantic Canada between January of 2021 and December of last year, 2022. Meanwhile, average hourly earnings uh, in Atlantic Canada went up by about 5% between January of 2021 and October of 2022. Uh, so clearly, you know, not keeping pace. Uh, with inflation. And the numbers are, are, are very similar in general uh, for Newfoundland and Labrador. Inflation went up by about 8.8% over the last two years. Uh, meanwhile, um, average hourly earnings only went up by about 4% in Newfoundland and Labrador. So they're not keeping pace uh, generally with inflation. Is there a usually a lag between inflation and uh, wages, or is it because the rate of inflation has been so rapid uh, as of late? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Uh, obviously, for unionized employees, it's not until their collective agreements come up for renewal that they can try to seek adjustments. And keep in mind, um, compared to, say, the early 1980s, when there was a lot of collective agreements with COLA clauses in them, and a COLA clause is a cost of living adjustment. Uh, 
in today's world, uh, union contracts have, uh, there's less of them in Canada that have COLA clauses embedded with them. So it's no longer automatic, even in a lot of collective agreements, that there's an automatic adjustment for inflation. So in other words, you end up having to try to negotiate something. Uh, and of course, it's a challenge to get um, you know, a, a full adjustment for inflation because businesses are facing higher costs as well for everything and not just for wage costs as part of those collective agreement renewals, but also for non-wage costs. Uh, and of course, you know, if they have to bear some of those costs and they run the risk of having to pass those on to consumers uh, and, and the consumers might buy their products or services less so they cost more. On the other hand, if they eat those costs and don't pass any of those higher wage or non-wage costs on to consumers, then they risk going out of business because they're not making a profit. Uh, so it's a real challenge for both employers and to employees to come to the table uh, and negotiate and get to a point of yes, uh, where both parties can kind of survive uh, and do better. Uh, so, you know, trying to get that win-win is always a challenge. In terms of collective agreements, it was interesting to hear you say that these uh, COLA clauses or cost of living adjustments uh, have been sort of coming out of a lot of these. Is that because of a of a period of relative stability uh, as of late, or could we see these reintroduced in future? Yeah, certainly a bit of both once again. Uh, since the early 1990s, uh, we've had a, a target ban for inflation in Canada of 1% to 3% with a midpoint of 2%. Back in the early 1980s, we didn't have that. Uh, and because we have had such a, a stable period of low inflation uh, for a little over two decades, uh, with one exception uh, in late uh, 2002, early 2003, where inflation for about a six-month period hovered around 5%, inflation in Canada has averaged about 2% uh, over the last two decades. So very rare to have this period of high inflation. That may explain why a lot of the COLA clauses disappeared. Uh, from unionized agreements, but you're right, go forward, there may be some negotiation to put them back in. But once again, those have to be negotiated back in and agreed to uh, by both parties. Uh, and therein lies the challenge. We've talked about this at length over the last uh, three years or so, but what are some of the the um, factors leading to high inflation? Obviously, the pandemic has upended a lot of things. We've got uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, are all of those sort of helping to feed into inflation, or are there other factors as well? Certainly, uh, all those would, helping the, would be helping to feed into it. Um, in addition, you know, the supply chain disruptions that began during the pandemic and have continued to some degree post-pandemic, you know, have led to uh, higher costs. You know, if there's shortages of goods and you want to get access, you often have to pay a premium to get that shipped uh, sooner uh, or you have to pay more to get access to it, uh, which contributes to inflation. You could even argue that some of the labor shortages are uh, leading to more inflation because in order to get labor, you might have to pay more. Uh, to get your building built uh, if you're a construction company, uh, and therefore you have to charge the end uh, the end buyer uh, a bit more for that new building. Uh, and so that labor shortages themselves can also contribute to inflation as well. Uh, the war in Ukraine can contribute to uh, higher commodity prices for things like energy, uh, key minerals that come out of uh, Ukraine, as well as wheat. So we're seeing higher inflation for bakery products uh, because they're made from wheat. Uh, as an example. Uh, and even prior to the Ukraine conflict, energy prices had already spiked. Uh, and of course, we're in a world where 
we're slowly depleting uh, fossil fuel-based energy. So you would expect prices to generally increase over time. But of course, we also have carbon pricing. Uh, and my recollection is the fuel charge will also apply in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, come this July 1st. Uh, and I think the pending fuel charge is 14.31 cents uh, per liter of gasoline. Oh, yeah. So what kind of an impact would that have? Well, it depends on, on uh, how much of um, uh, Newfoundland's current policies around uh, carbon pricing uh, and so on are already factored in to higher fuel prices. So they might not bear the full uh, impact of the 14.31 cents per liter. Uh, it will depend on each province's existing policy versus what happens when that kicks in. Uh, so it's not necessarily going to be that full impact, but it will probably be significant, I presume. I read an op-ed piece, I think it was in the Globe and Mail, I can't remember, I read so much, um, uh, saying, you know, basically, a lot of us are, are waiting for prices to start dropping. And they said, you know, give up that expectation because the days of low prices are over. Do you think that's true? Well, I guess, yeah, I, I guess that's open to debate. Um, clearly, I think, you know, as the Bank of Canada gets inflation under control over the next couple of years, and, and we'll get an update on that next week in the monetary policy report, as well as we'll get to see how much the overnight interest rate goes up by as well. As they get in, um, inflation under control and we get it back to that uh, normal band of 1% to 3%, uh, I think, you know, it's not good to fear monger that we're going to have higher prices forever. Uh, I think inflation can be combated and brought under control. Uh, the Bank of Canada was able to do it for two decades uh, in succession. Um, and certainly we're nowhere near the type of inflation or stagflation that we saw in the early 1980s. But I do concur to some degree that prices may not necessarily go down across the board. You know, I think to some degree, some of these higher prices are here to stay within reason because, you know, commodity prices are highly volatile for many uh, types of uh, raw material commodities, and they do go up and down over time. So if some of these commodity prices drop drastically in the future, whether it's due to a recession or economic slowdown, whatever it may be, you know, that can put downward pressure on certain goods and services that we buy. So yes, there could be some select areas of deflation, uh, but certainly, you know, food security and food sustainability as the earth's population grows is always going to be an ongoing issue i.e you know, over up to eight billion people now on the globe or something like that um how do we continue to grow food cheaply to be able to feed that many people is going to be an ongoing challenge so there will be continued uh, inflationary pressures in some areas for sure Oftentimes when, uh, you know, um, certain economic conditions are at play, uh, economists will often say, okay, well, here's typically what happens. This is going to happen, and then this will likely happen. How it, how it uh, plays out uh, depends on factor one, two, three, and four. That's usually the, the, the formula, <laughs> if you will. But are, uh, have we seen patterns like what we've seen? I mean, there's a lot of unique circumstances here, not the least of which is the scale of the pandemic that we've just seen. Uh, we haven't seen that in recent years anyway. Um, is there a pattern here? Is there something that we can expect? Because uh, I think that's what we're all waiting for. We're, we have this feeling of expectation that things will get better at some point. Yeah, I think at some point things will, will normalize to some degree, uh, although we're always going to have some of those volatilities that I talked about earlier, whether it's inflation, whether it's interest rates, whether it's commodity prices, uh, whether it's exchange rates and so on. 
so there's a lot of economic levers that are not quite as stable as you think and are sometimes volatile, but we have been able to get back to periods of fairly stable uh, inflation uh, and wage growth in the past. Uh, so I think we can get there again for sure. Um, we've had periods like this before, you know, energy prices spiked back in 2015, uh, and a lot of those flowed through to other areas, uh, but we didn't have a significant slowdown, uh, and we didn't have as high as interest rates as, as we have today. So every, every economic situation is unique. You can say, yeah, during this period, it was similar to that period. There were some similarities, but there's always going to be stuff that's different as well. So there's no, you know, the economy's never the same as it was yesterday go forward. And those push and pull factors are seem to be so extreme nowadays. They're, they're, they're you know, war in Ukraine, they're a pandemic, um, they're, you know, whatever China happens to be doing today or tomorrow. Uh, they're, they're massive factors. For sure. Uh, and, and, you know, you hit the head on the, the nail on the head in terms of the war in Ukraine and, and even the China factor. You know, if we see more nearshoring where um, the Western world countries um, uh, or the NATO countries start trading less with, say, China or Russia for various geopolitical reasons. There's a cost to doing that. So, you know, you have to develop more local minerals. You have to develop more local manufacturing capacity. Um, you just have to develop more local supply of all goods and services uh, uh, for anything and, and any purpose. Uh, and there's a cost to doing that. And of course, where do those costs often flow through? They often flow through to the end user, uh, and they don't happen overnight. Like it takes years to develop new mines for critical minerals. Uh, it takes years to grow more food if you can't import food from other countries. Uh, it takes years to develop a manufacturing base if you're not going to buy those manufactured goods from China. So these things are not going to happen overnight, uh, and we still may have some trade with some of these countries. Uh, that are not part of NATO, uh, just because of uh, the fact that we, we still have to eat, we still need clothes on our backs, and we still need um, cars to drive and so on, right? So, um, but that's kind of the world we're kind of headed towards right now, or it looks like that's where we're heading, but it's not going to be without some cost and some pain as well. And you're already starting to see some of those shifts happening, as you just said. Uh, uh, so we won't see, I guess, the, the, the full effects of that for a few more years to come. No, exactly, right, because it will take a while to, to make those things happen, whether it's developing uh, hydro, um, uh, hydrogen in Newfoundland for export to, to Germany or other countries. You know, these are multi-year projects and big projects, um, uh, but they also have broader impacts as well, right? Uh, some of them are good in terms of export revenues and things like that and tax revenues and so on. Uh, but at the same time, they put pressure on the labor force to, to be able to build those large pro projects. And, and, of course, labor that's used for that can't be used for something else. Uh, so it creates a lot of economic dynamics that are very complex, right? And, and I couldn't even explain them in a, in a short radio interview, but I'm trying to kind of give your listen listeners a general kind of idea of how these things have bigger ramifications. Certainly. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target, Senior Policy Analyst with APEC, Fred Bergman, will be back right after this. Our guest today, Senior Policy Analyst with APEC, Fred Bergman. And uh, uh, Fred, will, do we expect to see wages catch up? Um, I think we'll see some gains in some areas, but not all employers, whether it be governments or business, 
uh, private or public sector may be able to afford to pay higher wages. Um, so it will be uh, what comes out of the negotiations. So I know uh, here in Nova Scotia, I think there was a recent agreement with the uh, the uh, Nova Scotia Health Authority where they got a 2.2% wage increase um, on average uh, over the next three years. Uh, so clearly well below uh, current inflation. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't that many years ago in Nova Scotia, as well as many of the Atlantic provinces, that there were wage freezes at one point uh, in governments. Uh, and so, of course, there's been some gain, but at the same time, not as much as inflation uh, versus past or recent history and prior collective agreements. So I think you'll probably get that kind of happy medium where you get better than you got before, but maybe you don't get quite as much as inflation, right? Uh, because getting to that COLA world, I don't think we're going to get to a world where all unionized contracts have a COLA clause in them, uh, nor for non-unionized staff are we going to necessarily get to a world where all employees uh, get inflation adjustments. Uh, I think there has to be some sort of midpoint, happy medium uh, between that and, and inflation, uh, such that the business uh, or the government can survive uh, and continue to deliver programs or to continue to stay in business uh, to sell goods and services to consumers. I think when it comes to inflation, especially the kind of inflation that we've seen of late, uh, people, it leaves people feeling very helpless. What can I do as an individual to change all of this? I just got to sort of suck it up. Oh, here we go again. I get hit again. Uh, that kind of thing. But is there any good news in this? Do you see a, a, a light on the horizon? Yeah, I, I think households can look at their own budgets and decide what they need to do. Like some, you know, I was lucky enough that probably about five or six months before inflation hit that I was allowed to uh, open up my mortgage without any penalty, renew for five years at a better interest rate than I was currently paying at the time, uh, while at the same time uh, avoiding all the recent increases in the overnight rate since March of last year. Um, so some may look at how do we, how do I reorganize my debt, whether it's renewing my mortgage or breaking it to get a better rate uh, and locking it in, whether it's combining all my credit card debt into one credit card uh, to kind of get a better package deal uh, on my credit card rates, um, whether it's cutting back on major spending or, or discretionary purchases. You know, uh, a couple of years ago during the pandemic, I was thinking of buying a new vehicle and ended up buying used instead. And I'm kind of glad I did in hindsight because of what's happened with interest rates. I held off. Uh, and, and so, you know, you have to make those decisions uh, to try to get through this. Uh, some will dip into their savings. Some might, if they're close enough in age, they might uh, they might um, tap into their pension uh, savings a little early. Uh, there's various things we can do to kind of offset some of the costs, uh, but it is a challenge. Uh, for many households, they don't even have that option of their low income. You know, they can't even get credit, uh, uh, let alone, you know, being able to cut back on essentials because they still need the essentials to survive, whether it's food on the table, a clothes on their back, or a roof over their head. And uh, we've heard this uh, warning uh, time and time again, especially of late, uh, try as much as you can not to take on extra debt just to pay down what you've got now. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've had relatives that have taken on payday loans and things like that, or friends, and, and, and those are very high interest rate forms of debt. They are certainly an option. And sometimes, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. But at the same time, you have to be careful how much 
debt you take on and the types of debt you take on. But there are situations where people have no choice, and, and I understand that. It, it's a personal decision for everybody in terms of how they finance their expenditures or their purchases. So far be it for me or anyone from APEC to call on how to go about doing that. Uh, but I also caution at the same time, uh, taking on too much debt, you know, do what you can afford to do. Uh, seek out friends and family for help if need be. Uh, but avoid putting yourself in a financial situation where you run into bankruptcy or insolvency. But once again, that's also a personal decision that some have to make as well in tough times. So what's the big takeaway then from this particular report on inflation? $7,200 since 2019, an increased um, household spending for the average Atlantic Canadian. What's the big takeaway? Well, I think it's that people are going to kind of make decisions on how they dip into their savings or or cut discretionary spending on non-essential items, uh, whether or not they delay major purchases, whether or not they take on more credit. Uh, or more debt, uh, whether or not they renew their mortgage or or, or try to uh, repackage or refinance their various credit cards. So these are all personal decisions that um, Canadians, uh, Atlantic Canadians and Newfoundland and Labradorians are going to have to make uh, as an individual or as a household. Certainly tough decisions. You know, governments have done some things to try to offset some of the costs of higher inflation. Uh, I know in Newfoundland and Labrador, there was an additional one-time cost of living uh, relief benefit given out last fall. Uh, it was, uh, I think, $500 for those earning under $100,000 and, and $250 to $500 for those earning between $100,000 and $125,000. Uh, I think in addition, the federal government uh, doubled up the GST credit uh, over a six-month period, uh, including over this winter. Uh, to try to offset some of those costs. And we talked earlier about the uh, the reduction in fuel tax last year uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador to make uh, life a little bit more affordable. It, and, and you're touching on it there now, but is there a role that governments should play in helping uh, address some of these issues? Are, are there policies they can put in place or um, uh, relief measures? Well, I think a lot of provinces uh, in Canada, including Atlantic Canada, have already brought in relief measures, whether it's to offset some of the costs for energy, whether it's home heating fuel or or gasoline, uh, whether it's uh, assistance for those with low incomes or low income seniors in terms of topping up uh, assistance rates, uh, because I think the seniors benefit and the income assistant benefit, low income assistant benefits in Newfoundland and Labrador got increased by about 10% uh, in the province's last budget. Governments have to be careful that they don't do too much and stoke inflation, i.e. if they keep spending more and putting money into the pockets of people. Some might argue that, you know, some of the supports during the pandemic were so um, generous that it it itself stoked inflation, i.e. if people have more money and businesses know they have more money uh, to be able to pay higher prices, uh, what kind of spiral might that lead to? Uh, so governments have to be careful when they spend more to offset the impact of inflation that they themselves don't stoke or create more inflation. So it's a, a fine line there. If you are going to give uh, more supports, it's best to have them income tested and or do them for low income households because those are the ones that can least afford higher prices, uh, especially for essential goods and services uh, in order for them to survive. Uh, so I think there's a real fine line there that governments have to to walk. Now, if inflation persists for longer, then yes, they may have to go back and look at, at what they can do to help within reason. 
to limit the impact on inflation, but at the same time help those low-income households. Certainly some of the governments in Atlantic Canada are earning surpluses, so they have some more affordability there, and they have lots of options that they can look at, whether it's reducing tax taxes, increasing tax credits, uh, or providing direct supports. Senior Policy Analyst with APEC, Fred Bergman, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, thank you so much. Now, stay safe during the storm, Linda. Take care. All the best in 2023. Same to you. Uh, and we'll be back on Monday 